I'm not making this up. Who has a safety deposit box full of money and six passports and a gun? Who has a bank account number in their hip? I can tell you the license plate numbers of all six cars outside. I can tell you that our waitress is left-handed and the guy sitting up at the counter weighs 215 pounds and knows how to handle himself. I know the best place to look for a gun is the cab of the gray truck outside. And at this altitude, I can run flat out for a half mile before my hands start shaking. Now, why would I know that? How can I know that and not know who I am? This is the Bourne Retrospective Series by Now Playing. Jason Bourne, welcome to the program. Hosted by Jacob. We are all trained to kill, but he was the best. Stuart. He's seen things. He knows things. And Arnie. They don't make mistakes. They don't do random. There's always an objective, always a target. This podcast may contain detailed plot spoilers and mild language. Is it all let me notice? You never wanted to before. Listener discretion is advised. This is not a drill, soldier. We're clear on that. This is a live project. You're a go. We'll see you on the other side. Today we're discussing The Bourne Legacy, starring not Matt Damon and not Julia Stiles. <laughs> what about Joan Allen? <laughs> well, she's in here. Two minutes. I think it's footage from the last film, though. No, she filmed a scene. Yeah, she got in a cab. Because of that, she's sixth build. Underneath Jeremy Renner, Rachel Weisz, Edward Norton, Albert Finney, Joan Allen, Stacey Keach, Oscar Isaac. That dude's in everything, like like Jeremy Renner. Scott Glenn, directed by Tony Gilroy. This is Arnie, your born podcaster and co-host of Now Playing. Stuart in L.A.? And this is Jacob, the host that's morally indefensible and absolutely necessary. I was so upset that I've fixated on this born podcaster line because <laughs> I wanted that line. Yeah, I am the sin eater. <laughs> <laughs> and there are sins to eat. The born legacy. It's universal eating a little bit of crow because when they did born ultimatum, they figured this is the end. We have a trilogy. Let's not besmirch it by just doing endless sequels Greengrass was done Damon was done they were done until they made you know it reminded me of Spaceballs we didn't just make money we made a shitload of money yeah and then all of a sudden we need another Bourne film (laughs) (laughs) and Damon was game Damon would have come back he was talking about reprising his role it was Greengrass who said no And without Greengrass, Damon wasn't returning. And so Universal had to go to plan B. That might have been a mistake. I saw the movie they made instead, Green Zone. Greengrass didn't want to make subtext anymore. He literally made a movie about how people tried to speak out about there being no weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and tried to turn it sort of into a action movie, Zero Dark Thirty, American Sniper kind of thing, while at the same time hitting those themes. It's not very good. It might be his worst film. He had said he wasn't going to return at all. We know that's not true. But when he did Bourne Ultimatum, he did say at the end there were thoughts of killing Jason Bourne, but they decided Universal might need Jason Bourne again sometime, which is why he swam off to an unknown future. But... Universal had this new idea, 
And so they brought in Tony Gilroy, who was the co-writer of the last few films. Yeah, he's been involved with all of them, but he, again, walked away after Supremacy didn't take all of his ideas. He only turned in one draft and I don't think has much responsibility for the movie we saw last week. But yeah, he's always been there. And Michael Clayton did well for him. I mean, he was Oscar nominated as director, Oscar nominated as writer. Then he made his follow-up film and it is truly a follow-up film, Duplicity. I don't know if you saw that. Julia Roberts and Clive Owen tried to steal the formula for hair tonic. Nope, but I don't play it on it. (laughs) No, I saw the trailers and knew enough to stay away. Yeah, it is through and through. It's just one of those second films where you're like, oh, I can see what you're going for, but none of this is working. Well, I looked him up on IMDb, and he hasn't directed a whole lot before or since. No, that's about it. (laughs) Here he came back. He said he was brought in after it was already said, you need to make a Bourne film without Matt Damon, and we're not going to recast Jason Bourne. So go. Okay, that was my question, because Bourne has cosmetic surgery in the book. You could say that somebody did a little snip, 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 and suddenly Zac Efron is the new Bourne. (laughs) Yeah, they said that they didn't see Bourne as a James Bond that could be handed down to person after person. They said Bourne was of a time and embodied by Matt Damon, and so how do you continue that? And I think it's a very interesting concept. We've had some really interesting adversaries for Bourne coming out of the Blackbriar and the Treadstone projects. I think that some of the best scenes have been Bourne facing off with the others, be it talking to the professor in the first one or sitting down for a supposed tea with the last Treadstone operative in the second one. And so it does kind of make sense to just focus on another Treadstone operative. Yeah, not knowing anything about this film as the newbie, I'm thinking soft reboot. Maybe not Jason Bourne, but maybe Mason Dorn. <laughs> you know, we've seen, yeah, Treadstone's gone away. I guess Blackbriar went away in the last film, but there's always some agency with some kind of super soldier. And so why not just keep running with that? That would be my assumption going into this film. I wouldn't envy the person that has to continue. Unlike a lot of the spy things, it wasn't like Bourne was on assignment. He was all always trying to do just one thing. I don't think that they could have had him join a team and go just be a spy again. You would have to have him still be looking for more about his past. And without Damon pulling that off, it would look really illegitimate. You had to get creative and that is what they did. Now, the one thing I can't find out, maybe one of you guys happened to do a little research and figure it out, but Jeremy Renner taking over Now, we've joked, there's a line that we said with Mission Impossible, Jeremy Renner will do your franchise, Mission Impossible, Avengers, Hansel and Gretel, this. (laughs) Is that a franchise? (laughs) There's talk of a sequel. He was in the second 28 Days Later, too. Yeah. I feel like he's the permanent bridesmaid. He is always waiting to become the leading man, and everyone's like, no, we like you better in the side role. I mean, even in his more dramatic stuff, I mean, even in American Hustle, I mean, he gets overshadowed by the other guys in it. He's overshadowed by his pompadour. I didn't realize it was him till I saw the credits. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he just, and and in times he has been a leading man, the movie's just bomb. He just, he can't seem to get that role. There was Hurt Locker, which is super great. 
Sure, sure. And nominated and what put him on the map? I guess what I'm saying is an encore. Yes. Yes. That made his career, but he has yet to find more parts like that. What I found funny is I, this past week, my sister was in town, found out she's a huge Bourne fan. She loves the original Bourne trilogy. She loves Matt Damon. She's like, when those are on TV, I'll just have them playing in the background. I just love looking at the TV, glancing over there, seeing a great chase. She's like, don't give me that Jeremy Renner, though. She's like, I don't want no Bourne <laughs> legacy. <laughs> And I do feel like there was that attitude. I do remember, I did not see this movie, but I remember being in a movie theater the summer that it came out and the trailer came on and the person sitting next to me just like started pumping his fist in the air. I'm like, what are you doing? And I suddenly got it. He was milking the cow. I was like, oh yes, it does feel like that. They kept screaming. Every line of dialogue they had was just like, we've got an even bigger conspiracy and Treadstone was just the beginning. There's so much more than born. It seems so desperate. It seems so demanding that there was more to tell when it was so clear they didn't have what they used to. And so I stayed away and the reviews were not good. The movie did decent box office, but it made half of what Ultimatum did. It's the lowest box office and it's got the lowest critical reception. Yeah. This is the one that has the least bonus features. Now I'm not going to blame reception of the movie so much as I'm going to blame the fact that this movie came out in 2012 and by then the home media market was already starting to dwindle and so they didn't do the U control and all of those extra bonus features. You, you gotta buy the three disc special edition if you want all that now. Yeah, well I don't even think they did that for this one. I bought the biggest, baddest set they had <laughs> and I got the director's commentary where he just goes, well we're not gonna talk too much inside baseball so we're not gonna say why Jeremy Renner took the part which makes me go, why the hell did he then? There's a story here and I don't know it. <laughs> Well, it seems like a losing proposition, right? Nobody wants to be the guy that comes up next. I mean, it's a lot to weigh on your shoulders. And, you know, he had other things going. It's the same summer as Avengers. I mean, is Hawkeye being cooler than fake Matt Damon? I don't know. Yes. Yes, it is. All that said, I do like Jeremy Renner. Like, yeah, I feel like he's this eternal bridesmaid, but I usually like him when he shows up in a movie. Yeah. I don't want to say anything bad about the actor because I think he's pretty good. Yeah, correct. I'm, I guess, criticizing his agent more than anything. I feel like <laughs> I think that's a first for now playing. <laughs> he's consistently entertaining and usually up for whatever the role demands, but the movies let him down or marginalize him again and again. I feel the same way. I've come around on Jeremy Renner around the time of Thor and the first Avengers when I started to pay attention to his name. Doesn't he just pull an arrow back in Thor? Does he do anything in that movie? <laughs> yeah, he says, uh, give me the order, and I'm starting to root for this guy. He tries to have personality, but I've really come around on him both as a person and as an actor. I feel like he's game for whatever is needed. I've now had four very brief in-person encounters with the man and I think I'm I'm intimidated by him but I think he's actually a really good actor and a fun screen presence. I think he was like the shining moment in Civil War. I thought he really added some spark when he came up on screen. And so I feel he has the capability of carrying the franchise if the script and if the audience let him. So you're excited then? The yes, idea of very Born much. Legacy approaching this, did you see it in theaters or did you soon after? Well, 2012, if you recall, now playing really started taking over all of our lives that year. Mm. I can't remember a time when it wasn't. <laughs> it's been almost 10 years. I mean, 
I just didn't have a lot of theatrical going for fun. I Again, home theater, waiting for home. This one, though, <laughs> I just never got around to. The buzz was such to make me think, eh, if it was on HBO, and if I had absolutely nothing better to watch, then I would put it in. But here it is, 2016. I'm seeing it for the first time. I'm the fan of the series. I'm a, still a newbie on this one. Yeah, I can't say that I was excited to put it in my Blu-ray player, but I felt like it was in the hands of people that were capable. It hadn't fallen to shysters. Tony Gilroy is legit. Renner is legit. Rachel Weiss is legit. There was a lot of people associated with it that I like. Well, I was excited putting it in. Keep in mind, we've gone through three installments of this franchise and nine recommends. It's a streak I wondered if could continue. I was curious how it would go. I was not heartened by the fact that Gilroy hasn't directed again in four years, but I was really ready to see what the Bourne legacy had. Well, why don't we find out? Arnie, you got the plot? The Bourne legacy takes place during the events of the Bourne Ultimatum. But we, the viewer, had no idea. In fact, the entire thing plays like an episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. where the good heroes are just off screen the whole time. <laughs> For example, we didn't know, because it wasn't in the last movie, but while hunting Jason Bourne and all of that, the CIA had called in Eric Beyer, an Air Force colonel in charge of the CIA's behavior modification programs and played by Edward Norton. With the secrets getting out, Bayer called for the termination of all clandestine agents to cover their tracks. So across the globe, all Bourne-like operatives are poisoned, shot, blown up with missiles, whatever it takes. But they miss one. Jeremy Renner's agent Aaron Cross. He was on a very different program than Bourne had been. Cross is given a regimen of pills. Blue pills to increase his mental capabilities, and green pills to increase his physical prowess and stamina. Cross had been on a training mission in Alaska for a number of days, and ended up in a cabin with operative number three, played by Oscar Isaac. But Bayer orders a drone attack to blow up number three's cabin, and Cross narrowly escapes, but he's on the hunt for his pills. See, Cross had a very low IQ before given his medicines, and without his intelligence, he knows he has no chance to escape. So he heads to the United States to get to biochemist Dr. Marta Shearing, the woman who had administered Cross's meds, played by Rachel Wise. But Marta was also on the kill list, having narrowly escaped a programmed workplace shooting, and Cross helps her escape another attempt on her life. Marta tells Cross that they discovered a way to remove the dependency on pills by injecting the formula along with a virus which would make the effects permanent. So the two go to Manila, where the pills were manufactured, and Marta injects the viral version of the intelligence meds into Cross. But the whole way, they are tracked by a hit squad run by Bayer, and Bayer activates an agent from their newest program called Larks. So this agent, Larks 3, chases Cross and Marta through Manila on a motorcycle, and the two narrowly escape, and a courteous boatman helps the two escape on the water as credits roll. Okay, so spinoff? Is that what we're going to call this? It's not a sequel. There's no way to call this a sequel. No. 
This is, again, Fast and Furious model, shoehorning <laughs> things in between cutscenes in other films. Oh, three? That's really the last film in the franchise. Like, we're going to find out all while the last film was going on, there's this other agent and this whole other story. I like that it opens, though. This is a Bourne movie, after all. You gotta have someone floating in water. I think that's actually too close of a parallel. The fact that we're starting here... You know what? If you're gonna be bringing in a new actor to play a new character, don't try to sell me from the first shot he's born. Don't do this. I feel this movie, based upon the script is ill-conceived, and this first shot begins that. No, I like this opening shot. You know what? This, the way people reacted to Furious 5 or the way I reacted to Furious 6, this is how I'm going to react to Legacy. I'm going to put that out front. Boar never fought wolves with, like, fire sticks. Like, all this Alaska stuff with Aaron Cross, like, this Bourne film has a different feel. Yeah, it it is a spinoff. It's something different that just tangentially connected to what we've talked about the past few weeks. Should they have used a name then? I mean, we aren't to think of him as Jason Bourne. We only get maybe a couple of shots, pictures, and little clips of Matt Damon in this movie. Why go with the name Bourne Legacy? I know there is a book called Bourne Legacy. It was not written by Robert Ludlum. Uh, There was an author that came in after he died in 2001 and cranked out a dozen new Bourne adventures in the last 10 years. They didn't follow that storyline. I'm not covering it for Books and Nachos, but I think they just took the title because it was a book property they could slap this poster on and sell. I don't know why you're not covering it for Books and Nachos. It couldn't be worse than the Bourne Ultimatum. It couldn't be, but I wanted (laughs) to focus on the character as he was conceived. I do not want to read 13 more novels on top (laughs) of it. No. I think, obviously, money is the answer. This is going to do much better as a Bourne movie than if they called it Cross. Uh, Didn't we have Alex Cross? That that, that didn't do very well. (laughs) (laughs) For lots of reasons. I would say having Medea with a shotgun out of drag (laughs) as being the first one and why it might have failed. But yes, I don't think the movie is ill-conceived. I think it is an ill-conceived title. I think it already sets expectations in a way where Renner can only hope to fail. But I do like that this is another agent. I mean, it truly is the Bourne legacy. Other agents that came out of the program after Bourne. Not his program, though. I mean, it's worth pointing out it's an entirely different program. Yeah, no, no. This is what I love about this film. This is like, you know, maybe this film's not as gritty and realistic as the other ones, but I do feel like this is the realistic Captain America. Like, if we were really trying to make Captain America this black ops guy with all these different super soldier programs going on, and (laughs) they're all going to compete against each other, that's what you get here. It's just all Captain America's fighting each other. Admittedly, they talk about super soldiers. How could I not be thinking of Captain America during this, especially since this movie has Bruce Banner and Hawkeye. Bruce Banner. Oh, that Bruce Banner. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Like, where was Ruffalo? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I'm like, where was he? You still remember that Incredible Hulk. Okay. <laughs> and I still like it. So I think that this is a good way to go still. I mean, remember, we learned last time Black Briar and all these other things were still parent operations of Treadstone. Here we're going to find out it goes much, much deeper. There's tons <laughs> of programs going on, and they're all overseen by, yes, Edward Norton's Colonel Byer. I don't even remember the last time I saw Edward Norton in something. I He kind of disappeared after 
the Incredible Hulk. I think his difficult reputation has harmed his career. Yeah, I, I feel like he's just playing himself in here. He's such a jerk. <laughs> yeah, I, I think he, you haven't seen a lot of him. That is true. For some reason, I thought he was in Predators. I'm like, oh, no, he was like the bad guy in Predators. But that was the, the kid from 70s show. So. for Grace? <laughs> yeah, I was like, I guess I have not seen him at all since The Incredible Hulk of 2008. But he is still a fine actor when he wants to be and when the material will let him be. That he's playing the villain here. I think that that makes sense. He seems like a good foil for Renner. They're age-appropriate, and I believe both are equally cunning and clever. I think the only thing I've seen him in before this that came out after Hulk was Birdman, where I thought he was actually pretty good in it. But the same summer this came out, he was in Moonrise Kingdom. That was a fine little performance, but... It's very different role. Yeah, I don't think it was a renaissance for... You know, sometimes people can have that comeback role and they and we see them a lot more. I still haven't seen a whole lot of <laughs> yeah. Edward Norton since this movie. What do you guys think of his character here, though? Because he was a little disorienting to me because they're like, we're calling in buyer. I almost felt like they were calling in the wolf to clean up after all of the <laughs> leaks that were going on during the Bourne Ultimatum. But it turns out he's in charge. Yeah, they state he didn't even like Treadstone. Like, this is, I guess, the top, top. You know, you have Brian Cox. I We thought he was at the top. I guess he was at the bottom where he just moved up every film here. And what's Stacey Keach doing here? I mean, I don't buy it. That's what I will just flat out say. I don't believe we're seeing the top of the top. They could easily say in the next film, oh, no, there was a secret program that not even Edward Norton knew about that had these super ninjas. I mean, <laughs> with a conspiracy, you can always keep digging deeper and deeper and deeper. I think it's cheap that we have this, oh, there's so many other programs here. and They've done that with every film, though. I like Edward Norton a lot. You know what? I really do. Ever since Primal Fear, I have just been an Ed Norton fan. So I'm happy to see him here. In fact, I didn't know he was in this movie. When his name came up on the credits, I became 10 times happier to be watching this movie. But I feel he's miscast because I don't think he carries the weight of a, dare I say, Stacy Keach or Brian Cox. Well, he's about... 80 pounds lighter, I'll give you that. <laughs> and so much younger that he doesn't feel like someone who will have risen through the ranks to be that high and be above all of these seasoned operatives. They give him some gray hair, but I see what you mean. He seems youthful. And again, I think that's because they want him to physically match Renner. They want it age appropriate. And what it leads me to believe is that they're going to get in a fist fight, that these guys will actually go mano a mano. And, and that does not happen, but... You believe that it could. Yeah, I don't think Edward Norton ever leaves the control room. Yeah. But it is awkward. The editing, the idea that we're literally... I mean, you said that the ultimatum was inserted in between two scenes of supremacy, and that is true. But here, the chopping is literally like, oh, remember when this was happening? Let's cut to an, a new scene. And yeah. then let's cut to an old scene. I mean, there's a lot more mix and match here. They're really trying to make you feel like... Yeah, concurrently, that at the same time that that movie is unfolding, we're getting these scenes. 
And I really do wish this felt more like a spinoff where, you know, TV spinoffs, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, old 70s television where you have one character from the popular series and they show up for that pilot episode to pass it off. I kind of get confused when we keep jumping back to Ultimatum throughout this first 20, 30 minutes here. I wish there was just one scene that explained, okay, now we're taking this little side road and leave that movie behind. I really did get that horrible Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. feeling when I'm watching this, and they're, like, cutting to news coverage of the shooting in Waterloo and then trying to explain how that actually is impacting this film. It's clumsy and does not work well. They had to have really hunted to bring back the most minor of characters so they can appear to have made a phone call just off screen last time to somebody who signed on to the movie this time. I think they would have done better to really follow a legacy. The legacy of the leak and everybody's panicking because those files got out, not everybody's panicking because Bourne is talking to a reporter. Making it an interquel made the first half an hour to 45 minutes of this movie feel very disjointed. I guess I've seen the Bourne Ultimatum twice. I don't know it well enough to figure out every linkage that's going on here. My comparative is Arsenio Hall, the way he would always name drop. I'm a good friend of Eddie Murphy, and my good friend Eddie Murphy... Woo, 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 Eddie Murphy's coming on my show. I don't know if anyone even remembers Arsenio Hall's show. I was a big <laughs> fan, but I have to admit, that man did just always talk about his much more famous celebrity comedian friend, and that's what they're doing here. They're like, we don't trust Renner enough to feel that we can't get away from little born moments, and so it just feels like name drop. If they'd gotten Damon for one cameo, it would have mm -hmm. added so much cred. Agreed. And furthermore, when they try to further the developments of Ultimatum, remember those files that Landley I, we thought faxed to the press? Like, there's some line drop that they intercepted that, that it never made it out to the press. Then why were people arrested at the end of that last film? Why were there hearings? It's treason! Just what I said would happen in that podcast! She was strung up by her toenails for treason! <laughs> Yeah, and some of that we don't even get until the end, but I do like that. I actually think that that's one of the more interesting ripples here is that the bad guys win. I thought Pam was sharing the hero mantle with Bourne last movie, but in fact, she always was the fall guy and fulfills that here in this movie. But while all this is going on, we keep intercutting with Alaska where crosses jeremy renner's character and again i like all this alaska stuff because it's a born movie mixed with the gray he's getting hunted by wolves yeah. they're chasing him down like he's jumping cliffs we've got some cliffhanger moments going on just as far as you know again not high intense stunts or action scenes but i like seeing this character and the skills he's developing and we keep seeing him take these pills i've always wondered were there microchips in these characters heads what happened why are they considered super soldiers well we see pills going on here well i don't think born had pills i think this is a different program which is supposed to make him even more born than born because he's chemically enhanced whereas born just had psychological conditioning and good training but yes, you mentioned the gray, and that was heavy on my mind. Later, we're going to see him wrestle a wolf, and I'm like, man, if you guys had put this out one year earlier, you would have been given so much more credit. There's more wolf wrestling than in the gray. <laughs> I like the gray a lot, actually, and so if they're going to make a callback to that, that's I'm good with it. I agree. These scenes, while don't really 
add anything to a story, I do think that they help give you the sense that Renner can do the physical bits. I don't feel like the budget here is as high. I feel like there's some obvious CGI work that in Bourne, I usually felt it was practical. But all that said, I do feel by the end of this sequence that, yeah, I completely trust Renner to give the same level of performance for the character, that I can follow him as easily as I could follow Jason Bourne. And a lot of this was practical. A lot of the tree jumping and jumping into like 40 degree water, that was not CGI. That was Jeremy Renner saying, let's hope we can do this in one take. Yeah, I was thinking specifically <laughs> jumping across the mountain. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what all these events build up to, like, there is this mystery of the pills. Like, we see Renner, he takes them, he's going to lose his. We see... Again, intercuts with other agents, and they're being given different pills all of a sudden, and I'm really wondering, okay, what happens if he stops taking these pills now? Because he loses it when he runs into Oscar Isaacs, agent number three. I feel like I'm in the prisoner now. Who is number one? You are number three. <laughs> we never do find out who outcome number two is. So they've left room for some sequel, though, they probably never follow up on. Maybe next week, but... I'm just thinking of Austin Powers. Who does number two work for? <laughs> I don't remember that joke, but I get Which it. is a play off of, yeah, The Prisoner, but they make it into a poo joke. <laughs> yes. But, yeah, I what we're going to basically see after, I would say, 20 minutes of lots of creative editing is that Edward Norton has just had enough. Pam's leak... Puts everything in jeopardy. There's footage of Albert Finney with the scientist who is developing these pills. And that is close enough. He's paranoid. Honestly, he doesn't need to do this. But he doesn't care about life. And he's just like, ah, let's just kill everyone and we'll start with the beta testing program. I got another thing in the wing. and We'll just do that. He's not thinking about these soldiers as people. He does not honor them. I don't think he honors life. He's in charge of an assassination program. His job is death. He is a merchant of death. And so a little more killing of his killers, I don't think, is any skin off his nose. Well, you would like to believe that everyone has loyalty, that it, for certainly for people that lay their life on the line, you'd like to believe it was paid back with at least respect, but... Not with a two-dimensional no. villain like Bayer. Yes, not with Bayer. Yeah, we get that key flashback that we talked about with the intro here, the Sin Eaters, where he does seem very ruthless, like he has no ties except whatever it takes to get the job done. And Arnie, you're saying you don't like this characterization? You don't buy him as ruthless or you just don't think that he fits in the role well? I don't think he carries the gravitas to be the head of such a large operation. And I don't think he's written very three-dimensionally. What do we know about him? He wants to kill the killers and continue his programs. The great thing they did it with Bourne in all three films, they do with Cross here. They humanize them. They personalize them. We know something about their life. We know something about what they want. You know, we're discovering it with Bourne as he's lost his memory. I think if you're going to bring in Ed Norton, you needed to have a more deep villain. You had to have somebody that was more than just kill them all. And yet we have a very fine actor given very little to do. Okay, well, and I don't disagree with that, but I do feel like he's a worthy adversary, and I do want Renner to get 
some justice for this, that we cut around the world and we see all the operatives stop taking blue and green pills and take a yellow death pill and they just drop to the ground a few hours later. Because they're in a remote area, they don't have the ability to switch out their pills. So instead, they send a drone. Go into Renner's acting. I just, I love when he walks out. He's like, you hear that? We don't hear anything. But he totally sells me that he has like some super soldier hearing and he's like, you know, as him and Oscar Isaacs talk about like what they're actually hearing, and he keeps walking out and cupping his ears. Like he sells that that he can pick up on some very faint sound. Oscar Isaac, man, that guy, he's we've reviewed him in Apocalypse, we reviewed him in The Force Awakens. Here he is again in a really nothing role. Well, it's before. I he doesn't quite count as the nobody in a meaningless role that will go on to be somebody. I think that belongs to Corey Stoll who's also here. You might know him as Yellow Jacket and for a season on House <laughs> of Cards. He's the nameless techie that would go on to bigger things. Uh, Oscar, it's a role. He doesn't have a name, but that was by design. None of the other ones are personal. I think they secretly withhold their identity. You know, when they meet, Aaron is very chatty. He's like, here's my name. You know, he wants to talk. He wants to communicate. The other ones seem to have lost their ability to emote. And I think there's some lip service paid later about how the next test programs have even less emotional content to them. So I think that's also why we're supposed to like this guy. They say number three, the reason he's banished to Alaska is he fell in love. He's trying not to emote, but he mm. was ruled by his feelings. And that's why he's up there in the middle of nowhere doing nothing. Yeah. And that's one of the things I notice about Cross versus Bourne. Look, Matt Damon, he may have the better written role, the more intriguing mystery, but I just like Cross more. I just like Renner's character more. He does emote. Damon's born is so cold, it's hard to cuddle up to him and you know have that emotional connection, whereas Cross, yeah, he is chatty. He, he's got a, a personality. I like watching him on screen. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more, Jacob. I've talked about the things that don't work, which is basically everything going on in New York and all the intercutting. Take all that away and just have Cross in Alaska. Yeah, that should have been the film. It's amazing. And Renner pulls me into his character immediately. Seeing him here with number three, seeing him chatty, and yet number three's like, maybe you're here to test me, all of this stuff. I'm really getting into this back and forth and wondering what's going to happen to him. And what I really enjoyed, and I wondered how they'd pull this off, I realized with part three, all Bourne movies are, are chase films. They're just extended chase sequences from beginning to end that have sometimes immediate chases on footer and cars, but the whole thing's a chase. And it's always a race also, where Bourne's trying to get to something before the CIA gets to Bourne. What is Cross going to run for? What are they going to try to sell me on for him? This mystery with the pills is a great hook. I thought he was just a drug addict, but I felt sympathy for him for that. <laughs> yeah, no, the pills are, are definitely a good thing. It's one of the first things you see is that he has dog tags that also work as a pill box, and yeah, that they're two different colors, that... Oscar Isaac has a whole cabinet full of them and is just a little bit reticent to open it up. Yeah, it's a good mystery, a good ticking clock. You get the sense. I mean, the whole reason why Renner climbed that mountain was it was a shortcut to get to the cabin because he knew he couldn't survive if he didn't get his regular dosage. And that's kind of how they keep 
these guys alive. We're eventually going to see the lab, and basically they have to come in for routine blood work and checkups. If they miss that, they get punished by being sent to the wilderness. I think that's actually why Aaron is here, is that he missed some lab tests. But the fact of the matter is they can't miss too many of them because they'll die without these pills. I didn't catch it that that was punishment. I thought that was their training and the way to prove that they could become a agent or an asset, as they've been called in the other films, is they got to complete this Alaskan trip, you know? Yeah, which Cross does two days earlier than anyone else had ever done because, he, yeah, he climbed that mountain because he ran out of pills. And he's got a rifle to take out the drones. Oh, my favorite line of this film. Yeah, that drone comes, it blows up the cabin, which takes out number three, <laughs> Isaac's. Cross goes and takes out the drone with a rifle. I love the line. What kind of weapon system is this guy operating? He has a rifle, a high-powered <laughs> rifle. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, there, there's some cleverness here. Again, Gilroy is a, a talented screenwriter, and I do feel like there is, there's good dialogue throughout this movie. Yeah, there's also this thing where I thought Cross put like a, a python over his crotch. Yes! You know, he has a sensor in him. <laughs> if, where did he get a python? Well, he had like pots and pans in his backpack so he could cook food <laughs> was he baking pies well you, it's a bowl i don't think it was actually a pie tin but i was surprised he knew about the tracker in his groin there i was wondering about it but he knows exactly how they're tracking him and exactly how to block it with aluminum and this is a throwback. This is they're actually trying to tie it to that one of the very first scenes in Born Identity where Matt Damon had microfilm lifted out of his hip or I was wondering if he's going to have a Zurich bank account <laughs> on that tracker. But no, this is where that whole, you know, those wolves have been tracking him this whole time. They're outside the cabin when he was with number three. Like, they really want it. Did They really want to eat cross. So they all confront him while a drone's tracking him down. And he gets to wrestle that one head wolf, the alpha dog, and throws that tracker in him. I felt it was a little mean. I know wolves, they're just doing what comes naturally. You don't got to blow it up with a drone. Yeah, and then you got to outrun it too. It's hard enough having it choke down the tracker. Then you got to outrun the wolf so that when the drone fires <laughs> at the tracker, you're not in the line of fire. I, it's over the top. And I do feel like this action is a little bit bigger than anything they've tried before and not always successful for that. That said, that it's a new guy and they're going that and it's a little more CGI work. I think that it works. I mean, I think it, there's fun here, but it is a little bit too much. You know, I agree. The aesthetic is different from the last trilogy rewatch, but I'm enjoying this. Like this, again, this is Furious 6 for me. This is the tank <laughs> bursting out. I'll admit this wolf scene makes me like Renner a bit more. It shows he has intelligence. I never knew it was artificial intelligence, but that he's thinking about ways to hide from this. This is the kind of survival thing that I have enjoyed watching Jason Bourne do. And yeah, to see him do this here, it's a pretty nifty thing. And I'm like, oh boy, is he going to have to cut that tracker out of himself? And when he does, it's not as gory as I thought it would be. I thought I'd get really squeamish before he throws it in the wolf, but it's not that bad. Yeah, he's resourceful, he's smart, and he's doing the best he can and uh, somehow gets 
back to America by stealing a plane and getting to his car in Chicago. But that's not the end of the killing. Not only were the super soldiers killed, but the people making the pills in the big secret room are also targets. In a scene that I almost feel there must be a missing scene here. Is that what they were doing? I thought these were researchers because we'll find out there's a manufacturer in the Philippines. Is there a second one? Well, yes. There are people involved in the testing and the blood work of these soldiers. These soldiers have to check in with these people. Yes. Yeah, these are like the head scientists. These guys are the chefs. They refer to the Manila as being the kitchen and the cooks. But these are the guys who create the recipes and... Right. But yeah, they, for some reason, they don't have any pills on site, but I don't know how else these soldiers would get them unless they were handed to them here. Whatever. The point is, is the head of this lab is the same guy that appeared with Albert Finney in a video that popped up on YouTube. Thus, everyone here must die. And one of the doctors off screen has been chemically turned into an assassin. Yeah, he was a sleeper agent. That's how I took it. Yeah. I took it as he was the Manchurian candidate. I don't quite know exactly what they do to him to turn him into such a ruthless, cold-blooded, emotionless killer. I love how he takes the door handles off. Very smart. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, he only has two scenes. One, he's very happy. He's like, oh, you've granted my research. Yay! And then the next scene... Yeah, he got a grant, and then he kills everyone. And then, yeah, he's just, like, staring at it. The lab results are are leaking all over the place. And as soon as his target walks in, that's when he takes off the door handles and just starts shooting. And it's it's a pretty scary scene. And we worry for our, our love interest here. Rachel Weiss is the one doctor that survives this massacre, partly because she was smart enough to go hide in the closet but dumb enough to get out when that would have been better to stay in there and partly because the assassin turns the gun on himself rather than put a bullet in her yeah i mean security finally does get into the room i found it funny like security like we need level five clearance uh they're all inside the room like security can't even get in this room they have to get special access but they get in and that's when he turns the gun on himself before they could shoot him yeah yeah, he doesn't do it out of sympathy. He doesn't do it, the, you know, insinuate later on he may have had an infatuation with her. He does it because she's gotten away and his final order is to terminate himself to complete killing everyone and they're just going to have to clean her up later. Yeah, they do spin it, though, to discredit her as a love triangle thing. Rachel Wise, you called her the love interest. Is she, I know that she's kind of playing the Marie role in this movie later on. I know that there's a really awkward final scene that kind of implies that she's- Not kind of, Arnie. The the last scene, that (laughs) is straight up innuendo. He's rolling up a tube while she's saying, I want to get lost. Uh, Yes, they are lovers by the very last scene, but maybe not for most of this movie. It's, they learn to trust each other. But yeah- He's going to her because they know each other. She was administering his pills several of the time. He flies into Chicago and then has to drive east to get to her. I guess they're just in time as like the stereotypical, almost Nazi-like interrogators come to Marta's house and try to kill her. And Well, I don't think they were going to kill her. 
They were there to find out whether they needed to kill her. That they were going to kill her. Yeah, no, he, no, was, he no, was finding her gun to fake his suicide from the moment he walked in. No, but they were questioning her. They were asking her, why do you think that guy killed everyone? And she hit it on the nail. She said, I don't think he did it. I think that someone drugged him or something. You know, we do behavior changes to people. I think that's what was done to him because he's gay. There's no way he loved me. And she said the wrong things. If she had said the party line and believed the story, there would be no need to assassinate her. They go for the gun once she starts saying what she really thinks. Well, he's searching the house for a gun the moment he walks in. So maybe he was just planning for that contingency. But yes. They're, they're there to do whatever it takes to cover this up. They wanted to make sure she wasn't going to leave the state spewing things like internally something's going on in that lab that people are being programmed to kill. And Cross shows up just because he's looking for her. Like, this is just a happy coincidence that he shows up to save her life. He's been hiding in the cupboard this whole time. He knows her as the nurse that gives him the tests. And since she's the only one still alive in the program, who else is he going to go to? But I love the fact that he was just waiting to spring out of the cupboard and then all this was happening. Yeah, I do feel like there's some born Matt Damon born type moments here. Like at one point, like he runs outside the house, like parkours up the side of it to, so he could just jump in through the window and shoot a guy. Like I do feel like they, they do tap into some of that more realistic born type violence. I wouldn't call that realistic. I would say it's cool. Uh, it makes you think that Renner could have pulled off Spider-Man, but I think that that's <laughs> a, a, due to his green pills, right? He's super agile. Warren couldn't have climbed the house. Well, he climbed down Spider-Man style, the embassy in the yeah, first one. Yeah, yeah, It he didn't did. feel the same way. It, like, Bourne took his time. Like, he didn't do it in three seconds. This guy literally gets to the top of an incredible house, by the way. That staircase. Man, oh man. Great house. <laughs> great location. But yeah, he's like up on the top of it in a matter of seconds. And again, even though he hasn't had green pills, we're going to find out that he's viraled out that he no longer needs to take pills he is super strength super soldier forever yeah making me wonder if they kept giving him the green pills was he even stronger was he close to hulking out i mean it's weird that they kept giving him the pills for no reason other than i guess to keep him enslaved to make him think he needed the pills i think that that's what they agree must have been the reasoning was that as long as he keeps coming in for the pills they own him but they, he does need the blue ones if he doesn't have the blue ones he will lose his mental faculties and revert to what he was before yeah we're gonna find out he lied about his iq was he mentally handicapped to get into the military he didn't lie the man that recruited him changed his iq test scores because he's a recruiter. It's a numbers game. So he, he, wanted, okay. he wanted to say, I got another guy today. But yes, he was too stupid to be taken legitimately. Yes. Which I think going along with some of the criticisms about American policy that we've talked about in the other Bourne film, I mean, I think that that is another one that people are sensitive about is who does the military go after to recruit? It's usually, you know, minorities, poor people. So I, I see that fitting in with kind of the criticisms that these Bourne films have been making. What this does to me is make him real sympathetic. I mean, one of my favorite short stories is Flowers for Algernon, and that's exactly what you have here with more 
more shooting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah well, <laughs> yes. It's not exactly what we have, but I see where you're going. I mean, it's an unintelligent person who was made smart and knows he's losing his smarts. He That makes it a sympathetic thing. He's not just fighting to stay alive. He's fighting to stay intelligent. It's a, it's a strange quest for an action hero that I really like. No, I, I agree. It is a good hook, but it also had me fearful of the second half of the movie. I'm like, is he going to like get really forgetful and knock things over and like are they going to play him as stupid no they're not <laughs> going to do that he's going to become more dissociated he's going to get some spacey looks and seem out of it for a little bit but Renner is too good of an actor to go and play some silly over the top full retard stereotype <laughs> yeah Renner knows you never go full retard I did have that same worry though Stuart like is he gonna like yeah start tripping over things and act like a doofus no he yeah he just blanks out every once in a while no yeah he helps rachel get away and what's interesting is that buyer does not know that either get away that even though there are still people or at least one guy out in the car he leaves because the house explodes and he doesn't want to be caught there having to answer questions once the cops want to know what went down in this house but Cross has killed all of the other people and whisked her away to a car waiting a few miles away in the woods. And now they're going to go to the pill factory in the Philippines at the same time that Bayer is going to be putting together the pieces. And the question is, is a flight to Manila going to take longer than Ed Norton's mind to put this <laughs> together? I like this as a dynamic. Bayer believes Cross is dead because of the wolf that got blown up by that drone. Mm -hmm. and he's like, we find out he has a 17-hour head start. He's got to catch up by 17 hours to find out what's going on with Cross, who the players are, where are they at. They'll find out they're in the Philippines. They don't even know why they're there at first. Mm -hmm. He wasn't that close to the program to know the ins and outs, and I like that. He's not some super... Like, oh, I know everything kind of guy. He needs his team. He needs those people around him to fill in the holes that he doesn't know. And he, I like the fact that he's using all of this technology. They're like, we don't have spy satellites over this rural area, but we do have weather ones. And so that means they only have some of the footage they need. And it it's interesting to see how the world works, to think that how would you be able to follow someone that's trying to run from the middle of the woods to Manila? Like, how would you put it together? This movie doesn't shy away from those details. I think we see, you know, in little f bits and pieces how our world is just wired in a way that all of this footage can be put together. Yeah, I think that's one of the more intriguing aspects of all the Bourne films, just continued here, is the surveillance technology, you know? Whether they're scanning every phone call for Blackbriar or using weather satellites to track people's locations, it just shows the ever-reaching eye of the god machine here. Yeah, I mean, what what, is, what do they say about London? There's like five cameras for every person there. Like, the, yeah, they're tapping into every security camera they could find. Again, it creates suspense. What might otherwise be kind of dull, 
because in the meantime, you have a lot of the scenes of Renner like doctoring passports and yeah, pulling the lamination off of like <laughs> what to do if your plane crashes. Like that's not very exciting. It is, you know, like having like uh, phone conversations and food courts and stuff. I mean, I guess he's got to be a little worried. She's not in love with him, and that's too bad. I think the reason why he tells his story is he's trying to find a way to be endearing to her, not to have her fall in love with him, but she could very easily at any given point run away, right? I mean, he needs her in order to get into the factory in Manila, but she doesn't need to get on the plane. She just needs to get away. I guess she figures she's going to stay with this guy because he's her best shot at being protected from buyer and all the people that want her dead. That and I think she's seen the other Bourne films and knows this is what happens when <laughs> you're the Marie, is you just take him from city to city. The thing I like is she actually has a purpose other than just being a mode of transportation. She's the one who can fix him permanently. I'm not sure how much I entirely buy into the viral... Yeah, they have to infect him with a virus, and if they do that, then it's permanent. Well, that's kind of true, though. That is how you kind of vaccinate. You fight fire with fire. So, I mean, I don't know if the... I believe the science. They give enough science here that I actually believe this is on point. But I, I can't verify its veracity, but I, I do feel like it's enough for me. It's more science speak than we normally get in a movie, and it feels authentic. I don't know why they would need to go to Manila to get those pills. Those soldiers don't go to Manila every time they need those pills. He should know where he should be able to get those pills. But these are the contrivances we need to make the story more exciting. I mean, we'll get an explanation later is that they would just make the pills when they got ordered. And since they've decided to stop the program, there's no more pills. Yeah, I guess. Were they on demand? Like there was Yes, they were. No pill lying around at all? Okay. <laughs> Well, they've destroyed them all because they went to the yellow pill. I mean, they haven't made Quaaludes since 82 and they're still around. <laughs> I just, I don't know. Whatever. Again, I'm not trying to pick at this movie. It's completely fine that this is the contrivance that they need to go to the Philippines. I want to go to the Philippines. It sounds like a fun place to have a climax. The Philippines people were really happy that they weren't just pretending to be Vietnam or something this time. Yes. They were actually <laughs> setting a movie in the Philippines because Apocalypse Now and Platoon had all been filmed there. They're like, wait, you actually want to set the movie here? And it does lead <laughs> to some exciting set pieces. What Gilroy said is he just had people walking around and they're like, wow, look, there's rebar coming out of this building. We're, all right, we're going to incorporate the rebar into an action scene. Oh my God, look how narrow this is. Okay, we're going to have the most narrow <laughs> fight scene in history but before we get there I, what i like about sharing is that she may be the marie of this film and she does some similar things like back in the born identity born's like okay you're gonna walk this many steps and turn this way to get this information from the bank and marie just walks in and asks for it and, and we see sharing do that like she knows the security guard at this factory she's just like oh yeah i'm just here for a trip oh i'm not on the list like i like that they use social engineering to be able to get into this factory it's kind of a cool location there's all of these pink <laughs> hazmat suits i i don't know why everyone went with pink here but they really stand out i mean not only ethnically are they different than all the people around here but everyone else is in pink so you know they just physically don't look like they belong here you feel like they're going to get exposed at any minute 
But this is where Renner's acting really comes through because the whole time he's like, we just got to act like we're supposed to be here and people will believe it. And guess what, people? That works. I have done that. I've done that at <laughs> Comic-Con. I've, I've done that at other art galleries. Like, if you just act like you're supposed to go through that door or you're supposed to have a badge even, even though you don't, a lot of times people will just let you through. And we'll see Renner do that. It does work well. Acting like you know where you're going is more important than actually being able to go where you're going. <laughs> <laughs> life lessons from now playing the more you know i don't know i've seen it go wrong let me put it that way <laughs> but uh it doesn't go wrong for these guys they get inside they get the virus that they need he's injected now what's interesting is that he's basically going to get sick and they just need a, a place to hide out until he is well enough to be a super soldier again yeah, it's, they say if it worked. I love that, like, she's got to viral him out. <laughs> that, yeah, I know. That phrasing. <laughs> but if he does get viraled out, yeah, he will get so sick he won't be able to move, they say. And if it doesn't work, he's just going to get dumb. Do you feel like this movie is lacking on action? I feel like when we get action, it's over the top and it's pronounced. But compared to the last movie, it really feels like few and far between. I mean, yeah, some guards come up and it's a couple punches, but I really do feel like there is no hitman until the end that is a worthy adversary for our cross character. And therefore, the action, it's sparing. I feel where this movie lacks is during the whole getting on the plane, yes. going to Manila. That's the only part where I really feel bored which you know with ultimatum i actually felt bored during some of that action and because it just went on so long but uh, there is a part that lags here but for the most part again uh, we said with the early born films these are dramas with action in them and i feel like this one even when there's not action going on with like edward norton's character i'm intrigued by what he's yelling in his office and what's going on with the security cameras and that i think there's tension but there seems to be less action yeah there's not a whole lot of fighting. These are chase movies. There's a lot of running. There's a lot of shouting, but there's not a whole lot of actual fighting going on, which works for me, though. Again, I think this is actually, dare I say, the smartest of the Bourne films, because now you've got a guy who's sick, and so... Fighting isn't going to be his forte. What we're going to have is a motorcycle chase that certainly tops the one we saw in Ultimatum, but we're not going to get Kung Fu. At least not much, a little bit, but... Yeah, that was a surprise. Not a complaint, but just a surprise that I would think that if they were making a sequel to Ultimatum, they'd want even more and more and more. But yeah, I agree. This is a much more intricate script. And you could make the argument that not a lot is truly happening here. Basically, a guy just needs to get a virus so that he can <laughs> stop taking pills. Captain America needs to get the cold so he can become more Captain America. <laughs> uh, maybe not the most exciting dynamic, but I do feel like there's tension here and there's I'm constantly trying to figure out the story. And that wasn't true last week. The only thing I can ding this on, though, I'm glad he's going to get his smart pills and not his strong pills. That makes it more sympathetic. If he was just going to be super agile and super strong, you know, the way you said Captain America is more Captain America, I wouldn't go for that. But by the same token, his smarts do him no good in this final escape. It is just pure instinct run stuff, you know? I would have liked it if his smart virus gave him the out, if he had to outthink somebody. 
my question is, so, you know, he beats up a bunch of guards in this factory. The the cops are going to swarm in once they're given notice by Bayer to go get these guys. They're, they're going to, you know, shoot some guns off. A, a crowd of pink people are going to go out. At one point, Cross, like, takes out the foreman and takes his watch. Why did he take his watch? I, I don't know if I missed something. He's had a big thing about watches the whole time. Remember in Alaska, he was looking for... His watch. It, I think that it's some kind of tick with him, possibly because of taking the pills that yes. just became a thing where he needed to have a watch. It's uh, yeah. it's his. He's regulated. I mean, they they have him where he needs to take pills at a certain time. I mean, I don't know why he needs the watch now because you know he's off the pills. He's not sure if the viral is, is going to work though, so maybe he needs it to keep track of when he might get stupider. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, you're right. It's a we all are slaves to time, so it's not unusual that he might need a, a timekeeping device. But it was a unique flourish. It, it did stand out to me as well. But yeah, this I was afraid at this point. They have the scene where they go off to the flop house, and she's going to tend to his wounds, and he's got to do the thing where he's like, "You're the warrior. You go on. You take <laughs> the money. It's all about you." I'm just like, "Oh no! Please don't let this turn into a love scene." They don't. I think it remains believable. In fact, they release another super soldier, Buyer. You know, they have the Larks program now, like which mm. they call Treadstone without the inconsistencies. I guess they don't get headaches from bright lights. This whole thing reminds me of like a bad superhero movie, like Abominations about to come out or something, you Wait know? Wait a minute. Did you just say that Incredible Hulk was bad? <laughs> Not what I meant. You, I, I'll say that Abomination was a bad twist in that movie, yeah. I know that you think it's a bad movie, but you'll never grant me that. I know it. I know you know that it's bad after you've seen the good Marvel movies. It's so damn fun. And you know what? I'm having fun here. I Yes, this is silly that, again, there are like hundreds of Captain America programs going on, but that that is the conceit of this film, and I like it. These are the next level. It was dropped in the beginning with Stacy Keach and Edward Norton. They were talking about all the other programs. They were going to fry the cross operatives so that they could focus on these guys. So in some ways, these are considered an improvement because they don't have emotions. They're basically Terminators without the metal. Which isn't too much different than what we saw with Carl Urban in part two or... Yeah. Yeah, I they mean... don't tend to be chatty folks, these <laughs> assassins. I, I'll give you that. They're not quick with the jokes, but we get larks. There's not much room for jokes because the rest of this film is going to be one big chase between larks and cross and shearing. I mean, shearing goes to what? Get medicine for cross. He's sick because of that virus. Yeah, that's another reason why they didn't have the love scene, right? Nobody wants to see snot. That's a, that's a bodily fluid we don't want. I'm to sure love, that's a fetish someone's into. Well, yeah, I you don't know what? Say... I actually had that conversation, and we had to look up. There were two things we wondered because we just couldn't fathom it: snot sex and puke sex. And it turns out people are into both. Well, I have no doubt that people are into anything you can conceive of, <laughs> but I don't think that the movie ticket buying public at large wants to see Rachel Weiss get sneezed on. No, but I've now given our listeners two new Googles, so you're welcome. <laughs> but yes, Weiss, she sees the SWAT coming for Cross, and, you know, she has that very dramatic, 
Aaron, run! <laughs> and so it it gives to this chase, which... You know, he probably didn't need that tip-off. He's pretty <laughs> fast on his feet, but whatever. Well, that was a surprise. I, I feel like Matt Damon born would have, like, heard them coming and yeah. would have already taken flight, but... I guess he's sick, so I'll, I'll give Cross a pass. Yeah, he heard the frickin' drone early on, so I think it's, yeah, because he was sick. Yeah, this guy makes mistakes, though. I mean, he dropped his pill case in Alaska. The whole reason he had to climb the mountain was because he lost it. I mean, he's clumsy, too. I, At least when the pills are wearing off, he is. Yeah. At any rate, all Martyr's really done is endangered herself, because now she's got to outrun these cops. Well, and I love this end chase. It goes on for a long time, and that was a problem for me in Ultimatum. But there's so much creativity here. Arnie, you said this director was just, like, finding things that he liked and turning them into action scenes. And you can see that, like, with this rooftop chase, which which is great stuff. It's not the great parkour scene that I feel like a Bourne movie needs that we haven't got yet. But a lot of fun stuff. Just They're always changing it up. The fact that there's a motorcycle chase... And Cross is going to, like, 50-50 rail grind a motorcycle, <laughs> like, is amazing. I love that you know that term. I played a lot of Tony Hawk. I'm liking this motorcycle chase a lot, and I think the stunts are very inventive. But can I just be the one to say I miss Greengrass's cinematography a little bit in this? It just lacks the energy. No, I like that they have tripods in this movie. I think they have too many. I, I think they needed to hold the camera once in a while. Both cinematographers are great cinematographers that have done... Good work. Robert Elswit here has shot most Paul Thomas Anderson movies as well as Nightcrawler. He's shot- not exactly a director I think of when I think of amazing fast cinematography. Well, I don't know about fast, but amazing cinematography for sure. If there's one thing you can say about all Paul Thomas Anderson movies, they have great cinematography. Oh, they're pretty, but I'm thinking if I'm making the next Bourne film, I'd look at the people who've worked with Justin Lin more than I'd look at P.T. Anderson. Mmm. I think that would be a mistake. Uh, but he also made Mission Impossible 5, Rogue Nation, which we all agreed had some great action. If that's right. He made Salt. I mean, I don't think that this guy is a novice. But that you prefer Greengrass is, you know, it's a preference. I think they both bring something uh, to the mix here. And the thing that's bothering me about this one is they don't seem to have as much money and that they seem to rely just a little bit more on artificial. Uh, but, but I kind of like the artificial sometimes, like when he's sliding down that narrow alley or whatever. Oh, I, know, I love that. Yeah. I know it's all ropes and stuff, but it does feel like a good Hong Kong movie. And they used ropes in the other ones, too. They just may be taking it a little bit further this time so we see the seams a little more. We do. Yeah, But there's no hit in any of the Bourne movies as hard. And I praised that car crash in Bourne Supremacy in Russia. But when that motorcycle wipes out and hits Ooh. the fucking post, I my teeth like clenched. I made an audible sound. Like, I, yeah. I mean, even before that, I, this chase, like where the Lark's agent is trying to use that bus, get it to, you know, push it to knock him over in the motorcycle, and Shearing is, like, falling over and propping herself up. Like, yeah, it's a tense chase, and then for it to end with the Lark's agent just, like, smashing into that post, it is a brutal crash. Yeah, not every flourish works. At one point, I remember they create chaos by spilling some fruit in a bag or whatever, but for the most part, I do feel like this is a worthy-born climactic chase, and I do feel some of the shots are as good as anything they've done in any of the movies. 
But they sure don't know how to end this, do they? Uh, oh, God, no. They have no idea what they're doing. It's actually a little bit unfortunate. Does anything ever happen to Byer? Well, we know that Pam is going up the river, and so I take it to mean that Byer, in essence, has won. He didn't get his guy. He didn't kill all the operatives. But I imagine that his programs are still going to be protected. We know that the big CIA head, played by Scott Glenn, is going to be just fine. What it tells me is there has to be a sequel because... Yeah, we're going to get this in the next Jeremy Renner film next week, right? (laughs) (laughs) Correct. You know, it ends instead on a boat with uh, them nestling next to each other. And she's like, I wish we were lost. I'm like, I think you are. I actually think you will never be found again. That Moby song that they use at the end of this one. Same Moby song they've used before. Yeah, is it? Yes. It felt like a different mix. It felt very different than. It when... is a different mix. He re-recorded okay, it, it, but it's the same song. It felt different. It felt like the end of a rom com or something. All of a sudden, when that kicked in, like I just felt the Bourne movies. Okay, they've had Moby, but I've liked the score for most of this film. It, it the score stuck out to me in this one. It, it almost had like these industrial clangs going on throughout it that I really enjoyed. But this Moby song really took me out. I, I, oof. Well, it's a, it is the same song. I actually thought they might give him a new song. I'm like, it's a new guy. It's going to be a new song, but it's just a new recording, a new arrangement of the same old song, which maybe is what they're going for. They want you to remember the past, but they want it to feel made for today. Well, they also remixed it for Ultimatum, too. That wasn't the exact same version we'd heard again and again either, so... Yeah, but they're not dramatically different. They, have they used the same Moby song in every film? Yeah, yes. it's the Bourne theme, be it Legacy oh. or Identity or what have you. Yeah, For some reason, it really stood out in this one. It could be the context as well. The fact that it ends more, much more like a James Bond movie with him sailing yes, off with James a woman. Bond, that's that's it, what it, it is. It feels like he's... Yeah, it, it feels like something Roger Moore would do here. Christmas only comes once a year. Yeah, rolling up that map. Yeah, we get it. I didn't get it. I honestly thought she might be into him awkwardly, and he's like, I'm looking at our next destination. I I, I got what I needed from you. <laughs> no, he's going to go get some. Come on. That little kid's going to see it. And yeah. Wow. Well, I hope not. <laughs> but it does feel like the least finished. We do get a cameo from Joan Allen and see, yeah, she's going to jail. She's losing her case. And the leak she did at the end of the last one, the big victory for freedom of information they contained it yeah that facts never went through they just got to wherever the facts went and threatened to kill everybody <laughs> till they stopped they talking got to the about new york it. times <laughs> yeah and of course cross has left his pillbox on the mirror i guess that's the one way in which buyers is shamed no more it's scrawled across the mirror the footage of of their hotel room I don't know that that's going to be true. We got one more film in this franchise, but I don't know that Cross and Marta are going to be a part of it. No, the plan was that it was going to be another Cross film. They were just going to continue with that. Then there was thought of Damon coming back, and they thought maybe sometime in the future... Renner and Damon can share the screen. And then as soon as Damon and Greengrass came back, they're like, yeah, we're not sharing the screen. (laughs) Yeah, once the people that made it the super hit agree it's time to do another one, 
whatever they might have been hoping to do with Justin Lin is out the window. Yeah, definitely. But does that mean it's a bad movie? That's the question. Jacob Stewart, do you recommend The Bourne Legacy? Jacob. After I watched this film, I really enjoyed it. So I went to go see what was the reaction? What did the critics think? What do fans of the series think? And I was shocked that this was the most pan. And I kind of got the sense that people were like, no, this isn't Matt Damon. It's different. It's It's got a different style to it, was the disappointment there. And I'm not so beholden to what green grass has done or what damon had done i really like the characterization of cross here he's he's a more fun agent than damon ever was got more personality i really like renner in this role and i would love to see him return this the action is more exaggerated it's not so down to earth as those other born films but i thought it was very good action yeah yeah it could use a little bit more money to make it a little bit more realistic but i was having a lot of fun with the creativity that they came up with especially during that final chase in Manila with with the motorcycles and jumping through the alleys and all that. My biggest complaint is the first, again, 20, 30 minutes where they're trying to intercut it with Ultimatum, where it's just confusing, and I wish they made it a more simple pass-off. But overall, this may be my favorite. I don't know. I don't have to make that decision yet, but it's up there. Pretty solid recommend for The Bourne Legacy. Stuart. Favorite. Can't go with that, but I, I will say... It did surprise me pleasantly that I was expecting that, yeah, this might be the real stinker of the series. Usually it's not a great thing. I think it has a PR problem. Honestly, I think the problem is, is that their popular star and director left and that makes everyone assume the worst. But, you know, if you don't like the idea of someone else taking over for the role I suppose this movie gives you no great reason to come back. If you don't want to see Renner do a Bourne imitation, then don't watch this movie. But I'm going to say that I think Renner is just about as good as Matt Damon. I, I compare the two as like the difference between Orange Chicken and General Tso's Chicken, if any of you are familiar with Chinese restaurants. Yeah, um, yeah. General Tso's is a little spicier. Yeah, exactly. It's a mild flavor difference. They're mostly doing the same thing. And if you enjoy one, I can't imagine you disliking the other unless you've just decided you don't want to. It seems to me that it was a problem of Ultimatum also being overrated. I think so many people put that movie on a pedestal that to come back to this, it felt diminished. When in fact, I think it has a more involving script. I think it actually is more interesting as a movie. And so even if I don't feel like it totally lives up with the action or some things get a little ridiculous in the story, ultimately, I feel like, yeah, if you have an open mind, you're going to enjoy this movie. And I give it a recommend. Four movies. 12 recommends. It's a streak. I'm really getting nervous now. Mm, yeah, what will next week do? I am kind of where I am with two. My recommends weaker than I think your guys's are because I have real problems with the first half hour of this film. Any of the Ed Norton New York scenes are just downright bad when they're trying to tell us Jason Bourne's just down the hall. It doesn't work. Anytime they try to bring in footage from the last one, it has a different style. It just doesn't fit. It's like when Agent Coulson was going around going, Thor was just here and look at the mess. It was bad. <laughs> you know what it reminded me of? I didn't go with that, but I did think about when they would have video game spinoffs and like you would play a character that was like 
born, they yes. would do the same kind of thing. You know, I think there was a Blade Runner computer game I had with. It was awesome, though. But yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> but it had a parallel storyline with a woman that mm, it was just, you know, it wasn't exactly Blade Runner. Right. And it's disappointing that Ed Norton's character never has a comeuppance that it, the story feels incomplete. All the yes. others had yes. ended with the downfall of the mastermind, even though there was another bigger mastermind next time. And here, the fact that it ends with him getting on a boat, it just doesn't feel done. <laughs> Correct. I agree with that. So those are the downfalls that, like part two, where I said the plot was too convoluted, the script could be tighter. They could have just made this better if they'd said this is during Pam Landy's trial a year later. But the action is great. Jeremy Renner is a very worthy successor. And I do think he's more personable than... Damon. I think Damon, because he'd been kind of the affable guy on so many movies, he was trying to go with a different image for himself and became stoic, silent Jason Bourne. Here, Renner doesn't have that chip where he's able to come in and actually be more charismatic on screen. There's a cutscene of him with a cop in Pennsylvania that really just showcases the acting. They cut it because of pacing, but it's a really wonderful scene that shows how well Renner is owning this role. You see it in the film, but that cutscene in isolation drove it home for me. I like this film, I recommend this film, and I'm actually sad we're not getting more with Renner. I still feel like, I mean, they kept him around in Mission Impossible. I mean, isn't there a possibility he's in the movie next week? Sure, there's, there's a possibility... I get the feeling that they just don't want him. Yeah, I, I think this one underperformed so so much that they feel, yeah, let's blame it on Renner and not on people just having weird preconceived notions. It could be like Bill Murray in the new Ghostbusters. He could pop up and surprise us all. I don't know. I wouldn't be unhappy. I just think that Damon and Greengrass, they were like, well, this is our franchise, and look what happened when somebody tried to do it without us. We're back. We're just going to pretend that one didn't happen. Yeah, they made it the gray meets Captain America. That's not a bad thing. Well, I'm curious to see what they have new to say. I mean, I feel like their third-born movie was just saying what their second-born movie did very loudly. It's been nine years since that ultimatum. What will Bourne think about our world today, and what will it do to him? These are intriguing questions, and I'm looking forward to getting some answers next week. And in the meantime, our final new podcast in our spring donation drive comes out this Friday, The New Ghostbusters. And by the time you're hearing this, we will have all seen it. And I'm telling you, despite some initial negativity on my part, I'm going in with a very open mind. Will I like it? Well, that's for donors to find out. And the donations go to help keep this show on the air. So if you enjoy our show, if you enjoy what we do, and if you can afford it, we would greatly appreciate, you know, a tip in the tip jar. And we can thank you for that with five, 11, or 14 bonus podcasts. All the details can be found by clicking the banner at the top of nowplayingpodcast.com. And then we'll be back to Bourne in two weeks. Next week, we're going beyond Star Trek Beyond. Oh, that's true. 
I forgot we were doing that. I keep thinking the answers are coming next week, but no. The Fast and the Trek? <laughs> Something else is coming at me next week, and I can't say I'm excited. Justin Lin! <laughs> I, you know what? I've struggled with each time I've watched these new Star Trek movies. I was initially unhappy with the 2009 and came around... Okay, I'll watch In Darkness again and see if I feel better about it. And maybe I should just review Beyond in five years. I, it does not look like a great movie, but uh, I hope to be wrong. I'm going to be going back and revisiting Into Darkness. I recommended that film, and I haven't seen it since. You recommended it. That's right, you did. Okay. My memory is that I shouldn't have now. It's mm. like soured with time. Mm -hmm. So I will be re-watching both of the originals. I've seen the 2009 one many times and still love it. But I want to reevaluate Into Darkness, especially in the shadow of The Force Awakens. And then we'll see what happens when we go beyond. That Star Trek review will be out next Friday, not next Tuesday. San Diego Comic-Con is this weekend, and we want to give Star Trek its due and not just rush that show out. So on Tuesday, to tide you over, is a bonus review of The Last Starfighter. And we're able to do these bonus reviews and the show each and every week thanks to a donor. So we hope you'll consider donating. And if not, please, seriously, go to Facebook, go to our forums, thank the donors who keep this show on the air if you enjoy the show. So, Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. You bet. And until next week, this is where it started for us, and this is where it ends. Do you remember now? Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing's Born Retrospective Series. We hope you've enjoyed the show. Congratulations, soldier. Training is over. Come back to NowPlayingPodcast.com each week for another new Born movie review leading up to this summer's new installment. You talk about this stuff like you read it in a book. And while at NowPlayingPodcast.com, be sure to join our forums where you can discuss the Jason Bourne movies with other listeners. Everyone signs in and out. This is a serious place, serious work. It's not just to come in whenever you like. You're right. You're right. We didn't sign in. You can follow Now Playing on Facebook and Twitter, where we post announcements of new episodes and where the hosts post movie mini reviews. Links to our social media pages are available on our homepage. Send them in to follow. Tell them to keep their distance. And in the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find reviews of other movie series, including The Fast and the Furious, Mission Impossible, Star Trek, Terminator, Predator, and many more. You think that Jason Bourne was the whole story? Sorry, there's a lot more going on here. Treadstone was just the tip of the iceberg. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. That was a D-track team we sent in there. I don't know what that means. It means they're good at what they do. If you want even more Now Playing reviews, place your order now for the first Now Playing book, Underrated Movies We Recommend. Get reviews of 125 films our hosts love. Now, two years we're scribbling in that notebook. 
you can order the book by clicking the banner at the top of our homepage. Read, David, read. Everything you can get your hands on. I thought maybe we could help each other. How's that? Support from listeners like you. Help keep now playing, operating. What's this? Well, it's what money I've got. It isn't much, but it's a start. I don't need it, you do. Anyway, I'm stuck with you now. I've got an investment in you. <laughs> You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. I don't suppose it'll do me much good to cry for help, huh? Not much. You can also show your love of Now Playing by shopping in our store, where you can buy Now Playing t-shirts, coffee mugs, mouse pads, and much more. The link to our Cafe Press store is available on our homepage. Get in the store. There's someone on your tail. Get in the store. Now Playing's Born Retrospective series is edited by Heath and Arnie. I told you we'd clean this up. It will be clean. Now Playing Credit Narration by Brock. Well, why don't you go upstairs and book a conference room? Maybe you can talk him to death. Now Playing is not affiliated with the makers or copyright holders of this film. The Jason Bourne films are the property of Universal Studios, and no infringement is intended. What is he doing? Is it a game? Is he warning us? Is it a threat? The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Enganza Media Incorporated. Do you really expect me to believe that? No, I don't. <laughs> I can't believe it myself. How could I expect you to? The insanity is, it's the truth. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2016, all rights reserved, and no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't think that's a decision you can make. Jason Bourne is dead. You hear me? He drowned two weeks ago. You're gonna go tell him that Jason Bourne is dead, you understand? Where are you gonna go? I swear to God, if I even feel somebody behind me, there is no measure to how fast and how hard I will bring this fight to your doorstep. I'm on my own side now. If you recall, Now Playing really started taking over all of our lives that year. Mm. I can't remember a time when it wasn't. It's been almost 10 years. <laughs> it really kicked into high gear with Howard the Duck in 2011, though, right? No, it didn't. <laughs> Howard the Duck? No. For Arnie. For Arnie, it did. That was, that was it. He didn't even realize he loved the movie as much as he does now. <laughs> Three duck nipples later... <laughs> I only have one, sadly, but I got the breasts. <laughs> but. <laughs> yeah, I can almost watch any movie these days and say w just what superhero ensemble we have going on. Margaret, Rogue Meets Hulk. So, I. <laughs> I... <laughs> Nobody in a meaningless role that will go on to be somebody. I think that belongs to Corey Stoll who's also here. You might know him as Yellow Jacket and for a season on House of Cards. <laughs> oh, I thought you were talking about Ant-Man. I am. Yes. Oh, okay. Yellow Jacket and House of Cards. Oh, and House of Cards. I'm yeah. like, there's someone named Yellow Jacket on House of Cards? <laughs> He's the nameless techie that would go on to bigger things. Uh, <laughs> 
but I'm enjoying this. Like this again, this is Furious Six for me. This is the tank <laughs> bursting out. It's better than that, Jacob. It's Furious Five. <laughs> is five isn't six with the tank? Yeah, six is with the it tank. It is. But- yeah, no, I know everyone loves five, but six was the one that stood out to me. It's the worst. It's the best. Yeah, it's it's much better than two. <laughs> yeah, come on, go watch two again. <laughs> Go watch two. You have forgotten. You have forgotten. (laughs) Never again. None of them. And Cross is going to like 50-50 rail grind a motorcycle. (laughs) Like is amazing. I love that you know that term. I played a lot of Tony Hawk. (laughs) You know, I actually didn't get a job with because I didn't play enough Tony Hawk. Would you? True story. I know that story. (laughs) That's a fun story. But. And of course, keep wanting to call him Bourne. 